Hello, welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. My name is Adam and I'm your host. Today I've got a cracking episode for you. I'm talking to Paul Casey. He's one of the most experienced coaches in the country. As a player, Paul went to college in the US. Since then, he's dedicated his life to coaching tennis. He's worked as a national coach. He spent a huge amount of time coaching in Kiltiernan, and you'll hear a lot more about that during the interview. He's produced a huge number of players who've gone on to uh, get scholarships for college in the US and have played on the ATP and WTA, ITF tours, and as well as Fed Cup and Davis Cup for Ireland. And for the past 15 years, Paul has been based in Glenageary. Paul has a burning passion for tennis, and that really comes across in this interview. He talks about his early days in tennis, two people that had a huge impact on his coaching career, the various stages of his coaching career and the different roles he's had during that time, his thoughts and opinions on a variety of issues in Irish tennis, why tennis is like chess, and a whole lot more. I think there's a huge amount to take from this episode, and I really hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Yeah, so firstly, Paul, thanks very much for for joining me and talking to me today. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure. It's my first ever podcast, so really nervous, really excited. Good stuff. Here we go. Yeah, so firstly, just how how was lockdown for you? How how have the last few few weeks been for you? Uh, It's been been very different, obviously. Um, I spent a lot of time at home because obviously we had to stay safe. Uh, Personally, I kind of, it was a bit weird at the start, but really enjoyed it because I got to spend a lot of time with my two young children. Mm-hmm. Uh, loads of time to think about where I wanted to go with my coaching, what I wanted to do, what I want to do in my life, all that time. A lot of time to think and you know, I try and get ready for the for the future. Yeah, so what, what kind of stuff are you doing to keep in the in the tennis world away from the courts? Well, I'm constantly looking at things and looking at different coaches, what they're doing, what they're saying, what they're teaching. So I'm always uh, I like thinking about tennis 24-7. My wife will tell you that. Um, what I really, really enjoyed doing with this time around was with my young with children. We made some videos of footwork and little exercises to help the children stay active at home. So that was a really fun experience, doing all the exercises with them, and they had a lot of fun doing it as well. Yeah, um, have you have you learned anything? Do you think from this time that you can take with you, so you can take forwards with you? Um, well, the main thing would be uh, spending time with, with my family. Uh, we're spending more time because I did really enjoy it, and then really appreciating not being able to work like I love tennis coaching but not being able to do what you love really made me appreciate the job I have so like it reinforced my love of coaching yeah so it's about two three weeks now since we've been able to get back to the court so how, how has that time been for you getting back really really good because everybody's playing singles uh, I've got a lot of lessons because obviously you know, people want to use the time effectively, especially when they're yeah. playing singles. I think they become 
more aware of their actual game in places doubles where you where you have a partner so it's half their fault half your fault mm. so we're doing a lot of private lessons which i really enjoy because you get to work on little specifics so i really enjoyed the time back the weather's been unbelievably good so happy days yeah absolutely absolutely and um, i just want to go back and, and and look at your kind of journey in in tennis uh for a bit so to go back to the very start where did tennis start for you tennis for me it started in riversdale tennis club it's uh about 500 meters away from tcu university and a little uh a community club it was built what when they built some houses like four hard courts uh, we could walk with from our house in about three or four minutes so my mum and dad was started playing but we would have been very young so we hit up against the wall while they played every summer and then over the years we got better and better and then we started playing with my mom and then we played with my dad and then we played leagues so that's where it all started really really fortunate that it was so close to home that we could walk down yeah that really made the big difference because but when we got a bit older then we could pop down there on our own because like, we didn't have to go far so yeah it was the perfect location to start your tennis life yeah so so, so yeah uh, from, from those junior days then what, what kind of overriding memories do you have of of playing tennis and improving and competing uh, the overriding memories uh, like personally i thought uh, the tennis was for girls when i was younger i played gaelic hurley basketball ran played the badminton team, the table yeah. tennis team. Like I had a speech impediment in school, so I didn't like to talk too much and I just loved sports. Right. So at the start in tennis, I was very good at soccer. I had a trial for Ireland. I was very good at Hurley. I got a trial for Dublin. And when I started tennis, obviously I wasn't that good, but I loved to compete. And I used to travel around with my dad's racket and my racket, and I had two rackets, old pair of shoes, no bag, but we're just competing and we're trying to get better to move up against the guys who were sponsored by Dunlop or Slazinger. Yeah. You'd see them around, they'd have their rackets and their gear and their bag, and I said, oh, I'd love to be sponsored one day. So competing, I just played. I went from Riversdale up to Charville. I started playing the men, so I played a lot of matches against the older men which helped me play in the tournaments then so when i went back into tournaments because i started late um i didn't really reach a high level of tennis till maybe i was 16 17. Okay. so the age 13 14 15 i was playing a lot of matches behind the scene but just trying to get better mm. you so know I, I, your yeah. days were good we played a lot of tournaments made you the, uh, the junior interpro team right. two years in a row and won a lot of junior titles in this in the 16 17 18 days bracket mm. so yeah like fell in love with the game and gave up the other sports because it just 
love the one-on-one competition. Yeah. Like it was gladiators without the blood, as they said. Yeah. You know? And I know then you went to, to college in, in the States when you finished school. And so, and that's a, re- that's a really popular option these days. I know a lot of people um, that you will have worked with and a lot of other people will have gone over and taken that option uh, recently. But how easy was that decision for you at the time to, to go over um, to the States for, for tennis? It was very, very easy. Um, after I finished my leaving, I went to the College of Commerce and Red Mines. Uh, started off there. I loved accountancy. And I think I got a notification in and around December or January that there was a scholarship place at Georgia Southern University. So it meant I had to leave at around Easter time. So I still had dreams of being a, a professional player. There was no social media, no internet. Didn't really have a clue that there's so many really really good players out there so when the offer came in like i jumped at it i jumped on a plane and off i went and landed in georgia that particular place i didn't end up going there for uh, the transcripts didn't arrive for the university level i ended up Going to a junior college in Alabama, Gadsden okay. State Junior College. Yeah. That's where it all started with my college days. Yeah. So f- from those days um, in college, w- what are your kind of best memories that you you have? Oh, uh, competition to practice every day. You had courts there. You had balls. You got to play like tennis for for well, the practice sessions would normally last about about two and a half hours, but like I was so into it that I let myself and my friends we'd often practice after dinner okay. so the courts were there the team atmosphere was really really special that's what I like most about it because in Ireland like everything was individual like apart from the interprovincials like so having only seven or eight lads interested in being the best they could at tennis yeah massive influence i love to play the matches but the traveling all around different parts of the states we went to georgia mississippi florida north carolina tennessee kentucky uh so lots of road trips to different universities meeting different players playing against different players so it was a massive eye-opener really recommend it to anybody that's into playing tennis and loves playing tennis. It's yeah. not about if you want to be a pro, obviously, because so few make it, but just the opportunity and the chance to well, I see a different country and different uh, like cultures, different religions. It's just a fantastic experience. Yeah, do you have a couple of, of big, kind of a couple of lessons that you learned that during that time that have, that have stood to you, do you think? Um, well, back then, like I said, I really thought I could be a pro player, so I spent most of my time on the tennis courts playing. Um, my first, the first year I went there, I went on my own and didn't know anybody, so I knuckled down, you know, like I studied hard, and like I made the dean's list. So 
I was enjoying it so much, like I suggested to a friend who also was a very good tennis player to like come over to like college over there. So mm. I foolishly got him a scholarship at the same place I was. Okay. So then it kind of it all went downhill after that because I had a buddy who not just his fault, my fault as well, but I got sidetracked, let's say. Yeah. So I didn't take the studies as seriously as I should have. So that's a, a major lesson I learned later on in life. I kind of knew it after I finished up in university. You're like, well, I didn't have an actual degree. Mm. Like I'd improved the tennis a lot. And back then with no social media and stuff like that, we didn't really know the level, the top level or what it was like. So I still believed I could be a, a professional tennis player. So yeah. that would have been the lesson I learned that yeah. you need to go to class if you want to get a degree. Yeah. The lesson you think. Yeah. And um, you know, I know after college you you went to Japan and you spent some time there. And yeah. um, so just tell me a little bit about that that time you spent in Japan. Okay, so like I said, after I finished, I didn't have a degree. My visa was about to like expire in America, so I had a choice to come back to Ireland, which back in the 80s, a lot of people remember, you probably don't, you probably only born there, but um, there wasn't that many jobs going around. Yeah. So I didn't, again, I still wanted to be a tennis player. I didn't want to be a tennis coach. And my girlfriend went back to Tokyo, and her friend took tennis lessons at a very famous tennis school in Japan, run by Hiroshi Miyamura. So she got me a job based on my playing level. And I went over there and I learned how to be a tennis coach. So I learned all the ins and outs. They worked extremely hard. I had to sort the balls. I had to make their coffee. I had to wash their cards if I wasn't working. I had to sweep the courts. I was really a grunt like in the Navy or the Army. So yeah. I had to do all the menial jobs, and that's the way the system was. So it was hard work, which really, if I hadn't done it, I don't think I'd have been a tennis coach. So it was a fantastic opportunity, completely different culture, obviously. So I was in Japan for three years and learned a lot. Learned a lot. It was with the makings of me, to be honest. Yeah. Like that, with my playing level. If I wasn't able to play tennis, I wouldn't have lasted. Yeah. And um, was there a moment either in Japan or, or back in Ireland when you decided that you wanted to, to pursue coaching as, as your career and, and, and keep, yes. keep, keep it up? Yes. So when I went to Japan, um, like I knew they had a lot of tournaments on. So at the start, I was doing some coaching. But I also played a lot of the, with the open tournaments, with yeah. the professional tournaments. Yeah. So I had no idea that the Japanese like could play so well because yeah. I hadn't seen them. I was working in a tennis school. I wasn't playing the tournaments. So the first tournament I went to, I was absolutely amazed. It was, they were so much better than me. Like I got wiped every tournament I went to. And it really made me realize I wasn't going to be a pro player. So that 
knock that on the head. Mm. Like if I couldn't beat a Japanese guy, like in my mind, now this is back when we didn't know it was really Kane Shikori. So, yeah. but I said, right, you know, like tennis coaching. So like I learned an awful lot from like Miyamura. He had 11 or 12 uh, like professional coaches working for him. Uh, I took my PTR exams over there and I couldn't wait to get back to Ireland and show them all these new methods, all these new ways of teaching tennis, of doing tennis. Because again, like that, there was no YouTube, no social media back then. So the information regarding tennis that was getting into Ireland wouldn't have been that great. Mm. So I had all these different ideas, different ways to do things, different ways to teach to serve. And I just couldn't wait to go back to Ireland and start working for myself yeah. and go from there. Yeah, so if we move back to Ireland, I know you got the opportunity to, to work with Louis Kayai, who a lot of people would have heard of, um, a big name in, in British doubles, would have trained a lot of British doubles players to, to really high levels. So I know you got to work with him. So how was that experience working with him and, and what kind of stuff did he, did, did, he, did he teach you? Okay, so Louis would come in and be the tutor for with my level three exam. Okay. He was very precise. Some people thought he was arrogant. He was French Canadian. Uh, but he knew what he wanted to do. He he went about teaching tennis different to anybody else I saw because he dealt more with the decision making process. Not so not so well, obviously how you swing at a ball matters, but whatever decision you make as regard to what type of ball you're gonna hit then that's going to dictate how you swing the racket in the first place. So he was different in that. It was more in the mind. Yeah. It was more about the tactics, dictate the strokes. And he was phenomenal at doubles. Uh, back when he came to us first, he would have coached Knowles and Nestor, who would have been number one in the world at doubles. Right. Uh, I had the pleasure of seeing them out in Mexico. And just the movements, the experience, what to look for, what not to look for, the percentages. He just had it all mapped out. It was just mm. so simple, made so much sense. It was really an eye-opener to both doubles tactics and how to teach the game of tennis as right. against how to teach stroke. So he was a yeah. massive, massive influence on me. Yeah. He was very meticulous about what he did. He did like he did little little work. He'd hard feed sometimes until he got it right, and then he'd move on, move on. He wasn't in a rush to get something done. He wanted to do it right. So I learned a lot from Louis. Mm. Yeah. And I know you, you spent a lot of time working in, in Kiltiernan, on the courts in Kiltiernan. So just talk me through a little bit about, about that stage of your, your coaching career. Okay, so in Kiltiernan, so I came back from Japan in 19, 1989 or nineteen eighty eight. And I started playing all the tournaments, did pretty well, did a lot of finals. Uh, I, was, I started off coaching up in Riversdale, obviously, because I came back from Japan, so I did my parents up in Willow Park. Coached some ladies in, in Riversdale. I was a member in Charvel, which is the club I moved to my junior years to get better. So I coached some really nice juniors up there from those players a few of them went on to have quite a bit of success at the junior tournament level 
Um, by then, I was getting a lot of hours in different clubs. I was working in a number of different clubs. I think I've worked in most okay. clubs in Dublin at this stage. And because I was playing at a decent level, I was getting a lot of inquiries about private lessons for aspiring juniors. So I basically had a lot of juniors who I was taking privately. Um, I wanted to go indoors because obviously you, I wasn't able to do the work I wanted to do outdoors because like with the weather conditions, et cetera, et cetera. And I really needed a central location. So a friend of mine, Bill Doyle, he had the lease on Kilternan. So I rented courts off him. They were hard courts indoor with the old sports hotel. And I started the Casey Academy by, in place of all these players paying me X amount of money for one of two hours privates, I got them to club the money together so we could all train together, help each other, work together, push each other, mm. and have more hours. So by clubbing them all together, you know, we used to be able to coach six hours every Saturday and another six hours on Sunday. And it wasn't costing them that much more than what they had been paying for privates. Mm. So that's what drove me up to Kiltiern and was a place that I could train real tennis players because obviously I had wanted to be a pro. I didn't know half of it because I didn't have a lot of coaching when I was younger. But having travelled the world and seen, I felt pretty confident that if you wanted it and you worked hard, I wasn't going to say you were going to be number, with number one in the world, but you could definitely make the pro tour. You could definitely get a scholarship, which comes first mm. to the States. And then you go with the pro tour. And even if you make 600 in the world in the Pro Tour, that's going to look really good on your CV and you're going to learn a lot by doing it. Yeah. So that was my goal like for all these players was to they get to 18, they go to college. They, they, if they succeed at college, if they were really good like the likes of Conor Island was, that, yeah, they could go on the circuit for maybe a year to see how it went. And then if it was going well, an extra year. Yeah. But that was the goal to get them to the States on a scholarship with a, a full game, like serving, volleying, ground strokes, passing shots like that. They had to have all the tools. Yeah. So that's what Kiltirna was all about. I was up there for 12 years, had a lot of really, 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 really good players. And yep, fantastic experience. Yeah. Um, so I know then um, you, you you took over the role as, as national coach. So just tell me a bit about your time in that role and then ultimately why you, you left that, that job. Okay, uh, national coach. So Evo, I was national coach back with Pete Lothar back in the 90s first. Uh, I think we did a two-year stint. Okay. We're all the best kids in Ireland. Like we meet in Riverview and... We trained for a couple of hours every weekend. Second role came because I'd had so much success with the juniors. Uh, Evo Van Aken was appointed to kind of with the guru to come to Ireland to implement a program that would lead towards a national academy in the future. Right. So, like Gary Cattle and myself. We were picked as as with the coaches. Evo came over. We went to Fitzwilliam with him. We watched a lot of players. 
he picked six under-12s and said, right, these are the six players who were going to start this new chapter for Irish tennis. Yeah. So Evo was, again, very meticulous, very step-by-step-by-step. By step by step. It's got to be built up. It's like a house. You've got to have foundations have to be good. So we did a lot of nitty-gritty work with the kids. We actually had to teach them how to run because he said none of the kids knew how to actually run properly. Okay. So we w- would spend X amount of time teaching the biomechanics of the sprint technique, the running technique, because he said, if you can't run, well, no point playing tennis. So he was very detailed. So we had six kids, and he said to us that we're going to evaluate them after the first year. or There were intermittent evaluations that we do, and then he said at the end of the year, if everybody's done their job good, we move on to phase two. But what he did say was that be ready for, there's normally one, one player won't work as hard as the rest. Mm-hmm. So he said, be ready that when that player materializes, you need to get rid of them. You need to set an example that this is a new program. We set certain standards. And if you don't achieve those standards, you're going to be axed. So myself and Gary agreed. But there was one player who definitely had not worked as hard as the others. And we both agreed that he needed to be axed. So we met Tennis Ireland, or I think it was called Tennis Ireland back then. And we said, this player needs to be cut. So they politely said, we're not going to cut him because we need the money. Because the program was costing a bit of money. Mm. So that kind of made me rethink the situation because I was into the program because it was so detailed and you could cut people. Unlike Leinster squads, I was Leinster yeah. squad coach for 11 or 12 years. And... You kind of just, once you're on Lancer Squad, you stayed on Lancer Squads. Now that's back then. Like I'm sure it's different now. But basically, they moved the goalposts. Kilternan was still open at this stage. So I still had a nice business up there. I was my own boss. I didn't answer to yeah. anybody, which is really what made it special. So I said, right, um, I'll resign as national coach and just uh, concentrate on Kiltirna. Yeah. So that's so I know, how, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I know around that time you did a lot of traveling with, um, with, with different Irish uh, junior teams. You would have brought them around, mm. around Europe. So mm. how was that experience working with, um, with junior teams and, and traveling with them? Really like that because I got to be with the kids, eat, sleep and drink tennis. So you get like, it's 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 so really really just i'm all about tennis and love tennis and talk about tennis and just being around players who obviously have aspirations of being pro players are as good at that age so hanging around with them 24 hours a day watching matches watching other players was like a dream come true so what I really liked is, like, I got to choose what tournaments I took them to. 
So in place of taking them to grade fives, like you'd see in Ireland, where the players, they're not that great. They don't even warm up or warm down. Like I decided to take them out to grade ones, where they could see the top juniors in the world. Not that they were going to beat them, just that they could see them. Mm. So I used to take them out to Morocco because it was very, very hot. They had clay courts, unlike the artificial surface we have here. So I wanted to give them an experience of what's pro-level tennis like at the top end. Yeah. So we'd go, we'd get practice courts. There'd be a number five or six in the world practicing beside you there. There'd be another ranked 15 in the world there. So yeah. we'd see the good players, how they behaved, how they, how they swung, how they warmed up, how they warmed down, what they were like off court. So that would give the Irish players something to work towards when they came home because we were going to go out again next year. So yeah. if they had a picture of what it's like at the top, there's a chance they're going to get better. I have a famous, well, my saying is, if you shoot for the stars, you might just end up on the moon. So if you aim high, you might get somewhere. If you just aim mediocre, you're not going to get anywhere. So taking them to these eye-opening tournaments for them was a really nice experience for me because when we came back then, I could talk about things and they understood what I was talking about. Whereas if they hadn't seen it for themselves, they think I was just making it up. Yeah. So I really, I really enjoyed touring with teams. And it also gave me the opportunity to teach them chess if they were interested. So it's great. Okay. Um, yeah. So who, who do you think is the most talented um, player or players you've, you've ever worked with during, during your time? Okay, the most. Okay. So there's a difference between talented and really talented. So I've had two players who were in terms of athletic ability. And in terms of ball striking ability, meaning they could hit the ball fast with control. I've had two outstanding players. One will be John Dorn. He ended up on a scholarship in Harvard. And he got the 350 in the world within two years, if I'm correct. Okay. He's very talented. Mm. His dad kind of made him stop because he had a big job waiting. So right. John wanted to continue on. But I think he realized he probably wasn't going to be number one in the world. And he had a very nice job offer because he was a smart guy. Yeah. The second player was Shane Travers. Just as athletic, even probably more athletic than John. Big ball striker. Uh, would have been one of the top juniors. He got injured in Fitzwilliam. Broke his foot. Had a misdiagnosis of the break. So he came back too early and he did more damage. So that kind of effectively ended his tennis career but those yeah. two in terms of ball striking like all court game serve smash volley sheer power that would leave your like breathless but they were the most talented and, and who do you think are the, the hardest workers you've ever you've ever uh, coached hardest workers female will be clear for Nukin. she's in america right now she went on a scholarship to ohio state worked as assistant coach university of pennsylvania she would have worked really hard because I was a tough coach. I was a very tough coach, I'd have to say that. I was fair, but yeah. the certain things 
I was a failed tennis player, so I kind of had a good idea what needed to be done in order to have some chance of success. So, Kira worked exceptionally hard. She did everything I asked. She'd cry, but she'd come back. She'd cry, she'd come back. Never gave up and achieved a very high level. The guys, like John McGahan, for sure. Uh, back when I was up in Kiltiernan, John would have, or still lives in Dundalk, but there was no motorway. And Kiltiernan from the centre of Dublin on the 46A bus, I think it was, probably got the number wrong, that could take up to an hour and a half to two hours to, to travel up the back windy oh, roads yeah. because there was no motorway. So John would invest maybe three hours a day to travel up to me. He'd come up to Kiltiernan, we'd train for two hours, then he'd hop back on a bus and spend another three hours going home. Yeah. So <laughs> he reminded me of Owen a bit that he was very, very driven, very, very driven. So he, he, he were he like he obviously loved tennis because nobody in their right mind would be doing that unless you're on the hat, you know. So really worked hard and we loved working with him because of that. You know, I know someone else that you you got to work with was was Owen, your brother, who you just mentioned there, mm. um, and he obviously reached a really high level. He played in in three Olympics. So how was that experience playing um, to to work with with Owen, your brother? That was fantastic. Like I worked with him. We played doubles together. Um, watched him play his Davis Cup matches. I was actually in America when he played orange ball with Michael Newton. We drove down from Alabama. We watched him play. I think he played with Peter Corder. And, uh, yeah, he was a very good match player. He was smart. He took care of himself. He ate right. Uh, he went traveling on his own over to England when he was 15, I think. He was really, really focused on being a pro tennis player. So, loved all the matches with him. Uh, captained him in the Four Nations tournament. And best experience, a lot of really good experience with him to with watching him play even Isovich in the Davis Cup and Fitz yeah. was a momentous occasion. And then being captain of the Olympic qualifying team for Lillehammer in Norway when there was own uh, Derek Farn and own Collins, as far as I know, they were on the team. And you had the best players in the world like trying to qualify for the Olympics. So it was really nice like, to do it with your brother and watch him play and like, get emotionally involved in the matches. Yeah. So yeah. we were very fortunate like, to have a younger brother. Yeah. I still say he ended up better than me because I used to whoop his ass when he was younger. <laughs> nah? like, yeah. I used to push him hard. I used to play him in yeah. matches. And, yeah. So... He owes me a lot, that fellow. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you mentioned there um, John McGahan, who as a, as a really hard worker. Um, so, I know, I know you work with, with John now in his academy up in Dundalk, in, in Max Tennis Academy. So, just tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about how um, the experience is working with John up, up in his academy. Okay, well, John's one of my favourite all-time like, students. And... Very good player, obviously, everybody knows him. Head of Leinster Tennis, and he has his own group of very good junior players, much like I did back in my playing days. So John asked me to come up and help him out. 
uh, really just for a different set of eyes. He knows my philosophy. He knows what I like. So he likes me to come up and look at the players and just point things out and then he'll work on those things during the week with them. I love going up, obviously, because I don't see these students day in, day out. So they're fresh ears. And because we know each other so well and we understand and we agree with what we're trying to do and achieve, it's really a nice experience to head up there. I drive up the Sunday morning, lots of time to think and just looking forward to working with players that want to do well in open tournaments. Exactly yeah. the same type of kids who I used to work with in Kiltiernan. They're serious yeah. about their tennis. Yeah. So it's a different level of student than I would have most of the time in a club like Lenny Geary, for instance. Yeah. So it's really enjoyable to work with John and it's had a lot of success. And yeah. especially considering it's outdoors because like yeah. there's some days up there and it's horrendous, man. Yeah. It's, it's, there's rain, sleet, courts are flooded, wind blown. And the kids, ah, we don't stop. You mm. get out there, you deal with it because you're going to play tournaments. There's not a lot of indoor tournaments in Ireland. So yeah. these are tough kids. These are really tough kids. Yeah. So really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, Glenny Geary there. I want to come on and talk about um, you, you're working Glenny Geary for a little bit. So you've been there for, um, I think, about 15 years now. So just how yeah. did, did your work in Glenny Geary start and how, how has it been, basically? How, how's that time been? Okay. So it started off, Kiltiernan shut down in 2004. The hotel was sold, so I had no place to work. So initially, I rented courts from Bective. They were very good to us. They liked to let us rent some courts. Yeah. Then I got the job in Sandy Cove. I was in Sandy Cove for, I think, a year, year and a half. And I still wanted to... I still wanted to make players and because after being in Kiltiernan and being my own boss for 11 or 12 years where I could do what I want and the players, the type of players I was dealing with, then to go into a club environment, it was really tough. It was really, really tough because like these yeah. kids didn't want to, they didn't want to be pro tennis players. So I didn't relate to them too well at the start. I did enjoy my time in Sandy Cove. But a friend of mine who was out in Spain had a few courts and he was leaving and he said he has a nice business over there. Would you want to come over and take it over? So I went over. I spent a year, but didn't really work out. Definitely wasn't going to have a future in Spain. Right. Like it's very hot for one thing. Yeah. And a, a coach who I had trained who was working in Glenagiri at the time because I actually got him the job there in the first place because I had worked in Glenagiri back in 1987-88 it would have been one of the clubs I'd worked in before I moved into Kiltiernan yeah, so okay, okay. he was having a hip operation and he said if you want to come back and try out for the job so I had nothing better to do so I came back and I got the job in Glenagiri in 2000 I think it was 2006 because I didn't get it straight or, like I was in Spain for 2005. Right. So it would have been 2006 I started in Glenagiri. Okay. Very happy in Glenagiri. Really nice club. They treat me exceptionally well. I think if every coach in Ireland had a club like Glenagiri in their attitude, they'd be very happy with life. But unfortunately, that's not the case. 
Yeah, no, I, I want to move on to talk about Irish tennis um, in a moment. But just before we do, or maybe a bit of a segue into that, well, what are your thoughts on, on the DLTC and like how, um, like what, how, or how it contributes to, to Irish tennis and, and what maybe they could, they could do in the future to keep, keep developing? Okay, the DLTC are great. Uh, they're voluntary organisation. They run the, the leagues in Dublin. And the leagues in Dublin feed into the tennis in Ireland. Uh, there's class seven, class six, class five. It takes cater. It, it, it caters for all the not top players in Ireland. Yeah. So they do a great job. It's voluntary. It's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of organization. And without DLTC, I don't think tennis in Ireland will be as good as it is. I'm not saying tennis in Ireland is great, but it will be a hell of a lot worse yeah. if we didn't have those winter leagues and summer leagues and flooded leagues and over 45 leagues and all the other great work they do. Yeah. So yeah. I think they really do a fantastic job and they should be commended for it. Mm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, just to, to move into to discussing maybe Irish tennis for a little bit. So how do you think um, tennis in Ireland has changed since your junior days, say? between now and then. Okay, so back in my junior days, there wouldn't have been as much coaching going on. We would have played a lot of matches down in our club with our friends because like, if there was five or six coaches in Ireland at that stage who had a reputation, we'd have been lucky. Mm. So I think I, myself, Owen and Connor, we would have had maybe one six-hour six session, one hour a week for six weeks, maybe once a year okay. with a net snit. And after that, it was up to yourself. Like for us, it was anyway. Yeah. We hadn't got the money like for lessons every week or to get a coach to drive to us to give us lessons. So you got some lessons, but then you played matches and you played matches and you played matches and you hit balls and you played matches. So we would have just played matches, 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 matches. Whereas now I think there's a lot more, more like coaching going on, and there's less matches. So the juniors of today in Ireland, they look better. Yes, definitely. Really, technique-wise, everybody knows a lot more now than back in our day because of of social media, YouTube, except a lot of information at the touch of a button. But they're not good match players. They don't know how to problem solve. Like, like they don't know how to like play the game of tennis the same as the game of chess. I keep coming back to chess because tennis to me is chess at speed. You can't just wipe somebody out in a chess match. You can't. His moves affect your moves. And you've got to use your piece of smart. You've got to use your skill smart. It's not about taking out the chainsaw and chopping off his head. Yeah? It's about like learning how to use your skills, recognizing their skills that affect your skills. What ball, what height, what distance, what speed, what spin, what direction. Like, are you attacking? Are you rallying? Are you defending? It's the game of tennis, which I think they're not very good at because they don't play enough matches. Mm. So you can either learn with the game of tennis by being like studying it, which I have done, or by playing so many matches that 
you start to you start to figure it out because you've done it so often. Yeah. I don't think there's enough of that going on, and I think that's unfortunate. Yeah. And how how do you think um, coaching has has changed and and the life of a coach? How has that changed um, in the last number of years? Okay, coaching a uh, lot more information again. Back in my day, you had a read about it or you went somewhere and you learned it. So mm. now everybody has instant lessons at the touch of a button, which is good if you know what you're looking at and if you know what you're looking for and why. It can be detrimental if you're just looking for things to do to use time. Yeah. So as far as the coaching information goes, there's a lot more on offer now for coaches. It's a lot easier to get information. As far as the coach's life is concerned, I think it's actually got worse because now clubs have been trained to make money off the coaching program. So in the past, back when I started coaching in Charvel or Clontar, I coached whatever money I made on the tennis courts, I made. If I yeah. didn't make any money, I didn't get any money. But now a lot of clubs want to set a, a rate and they want to keep any money that's made off the program. So they're more interested in how much money the program makes rather than the quality of the program. Okay. So I think in that respect, the coach's life has changed. They're expected to do a lot more for a lot less. Yeah. So. You know, another another aspect of of tennis in Ireland uh, we might touch on is 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 the courts, the astroturf courts that are obviously the the vast majority of of courts in the country. And um, just just I guess what what are your thoughts on on that and, and and why that might be? Okay, so astroturfs have done more to ruin Irish tennis than any other team. I would have been around. I would have grown up in the hard courts. Anybody my age group would have grown up in the Tarm Academy courts. So the ball was bouncing high. It took a lot of shots to win a point. A lot of different skill sets involved. Um, but some bright spark developed a new surface, AstroTurf. I remember the first time I played in it, I think Clontarf was the first club in Leinster for Habit. So I, I played Mick Nugent in the final. But in the first round, my first few shots on it, I completely fresh-aired with the ball because... It was skidding under my racket. So I was swinging at it and like full on swings and next minute everybody would be laughing at me. And I, I just didn't understand. And I can remember like, like chucking the racket and screaming out like who invented this surface? Because it was absolutely disgusting. The ball just slid. Like it was a different game. It was a completely different game. But because it was new and different, guess what? Every other club wanted to have it. we got to have some of this because sometimes the grass is greener on the other side. So everybody gets it because they don't want to be the ones, oh, we don't have those nice soft courts. So originally it was, it was brought in because, as far as I remember, it was easier on the joints. Okay. It wasn't due to the playing the characteristics of the surf. It was because it was easier on the old people's joints. So 
it's not that much softer after it packs down. Now we have all the shoes. It's not like the old tennis shoes, uh, the plimsolls, where, yes, there would have been a lot of, oh, what's the word, force of vibration on the hard courts. It might have felt a bit softer under the feet, but it ruined the game of tennis in Ireland because on that stuff, the backspin, the slappy stuff, the just like... <laughs> It's not, if you've ever played on a proper hard court, the ball sits up high. You can hit it. You have time on the ball. You have time to get the racket under the ball and hit with topspin. You have to hit topspin, yeah. otherwise it won't go in. Whereas with the Astra stuff, it's all oh, just slap, slap, slap. It's not tennis. It's who can, who can, who can slap a winner before the other? Who can slap a, a fluky winner really half the time before the other guy can? It's, it's, it's really had a major, major detrimental effect on the level of tennis in Ireland. Massive, more than yeah. any other thing, yeah. the court surface. Yeah. What, what do you think needs to be done uh, in the future to, to develop uh, tennis in Ireland? What do you think we can do? Okay, well, first thing, first thing we have to dig up all the AstroTurf. Mm. Underneath every AstroTurf curve, or under every AstroTurf court, which is a Tarmacadam hard court. Everybody's ranting and raving about the red plus clay and all this stuff. Listen, the Tarmacadam court will do the same job. It slows everything down. You don't need to be spending 18000 19000 on a red plus court. I'm not saying, you, hey, listen, if you want to spend your money, off you go. Right? First thing. So if you want to spend your money, get clay courts. Artificial clay, something good. Yeah. There's a lot of different ones out there, so I'm not going to recommend any because obviously... This is now a new fad about artificial clay. So we'll see how that goes. I've heard some stories. It's not great on drainage if it rains heavy. Okay. But we'll see how things go on that. So the court surface. Second, get more matches for the players that want to play matches can have them. Mm. Ireland's the only country, apart from probably Iceland, maybe because of the weather, every other country has tournaments every weekend for juniors, for seniors. Ireland, we've got a summer schedule of tournaments, intense tournaments every week. But in France and Germany and Spain, all these places, there's a tournament, England, there's a tournament every weekend that you can go play in and it goes towards your ranking. If we had that in Ireland, if I had a player who was playing a tournament this weekend, let's say, whether they won or lost, they'd... they'd come back to me with something to work on. They know what they wanted to work on in order to get ready for next week's tournament. Yeah. So therefore, the lesson becomes driven by them. They're telling the coach what they want to work on because next weekend, there's another tournament coming up and I don't want the same thing happening. In this country, any of the juniors I work with, even the fairly high level ones, I don't have a lot of them, but I have a few, very often, you'll ask them what you want to work on and the simple answer is, I don't mind. So when they say that, I'd really love to whip out the flask of coffee and say, right, let's sit down and have a chat. Talk about what you had for dinner last night. They don't actually know what they want to work on. But if yeah. we had tournaments every weekend, over the course of a year, imagine how much better they'd get because they were telling the coach what they wanted to work on. Whereas right now, whatever you feel like, coach. So if we had more tournaments, I think the students will be better players in Irish tennis than would go through the roof. 
provided yeah. we had the surface. As long as we're on this artificial stuff, really, it's very hard. It's very hard to develop. Yeah. You're like a player. Yeah. Now, I just have a few more questions for you, Paul. I really, really appreciate your time. Yeah. Taking up a good bit of your time now. Um, just just uh, yeah. a couple more questions for you. Um, so what's your favorite thing about, about coaching, about coaching tennis? I love seeing people improve. I love the smile on their face. I love I like problem solving. If they can't do something, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And then I love, really love the tactics of tennis. I love matches. I love match play. I love decision making. I'm really into decision making. How to make a like, you can have late decisions, wrong decisions, like indecision. No decisions. I love teaching how to how how to make good decisions on a tennis court within a very short space of time, you know, based on patterns. It's pretty simple. Yeah. I watched a lot of matches, and it's a bit like chess. All those pieces on a chessboard have to move a certain way, don't they? Mm. So, a certain shots in tennis they have to go a certain way at certain times. So I love that detail about how to construct points, how to have a strategy, how to evaluate an opponent how to get inside their head, how to, how to rattle them, all the things that have to do with competition. Not so much how to hit a ball. Yeah. Because anybody can hit a ball. It's how you hit it and why you hit it. So yeah. that'll be that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just if you could have maybe a piece of advice for, for coaches, first of all, what, what, what advice would you maybe give to, 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 to coaches? Keep learning. You, you First thing, you've got to take your players to tournaments. You've got to go watch your players play in tournaments because that's only that's when you'll see the real player. You won't see him on a tennis court because you're telling them what to do. So a monkey can do what you tell them. You've got to see him out there when they're on their own, they're losing. What are they like? Maybe their head drops, maybe this. So it's not necessarily about the stroke, it's about the attitude of the player. And you can only see that when they play a match. And you'll only see that when they're in trouble in a match. What's their character like? Do they quit? Yeah. So you must go watch your player. If you don't do that, don't consider yourself a coach. Second advice, make notes on every lesson. Yeah. One of the things I like about this system right now is the courts are only bookable for 50 minutes. So it's given me 10 minutes at the end of every lesson to write little notes about little different things that might have happened during the lesson. So as when we have our next lesson next week, I'm clear and I can remind the student where we left off. So make notes about what you do with less because you won't remember unless you don't have that many lessons. Yeah. But you will not remember. You might think you remember that later. No, make a quick note. And if you have to fill it out later, do. Yeah. And then that'll be it. Just work hard and keep improving your knowledge. Yeah, and absolutely. And then, and then to move on to, to players, what advice would you give to, to players? Players play matches, play matches. Players need, need three levels of matches. They need a match against a guy that's better than them, which they all love. They need a match against somebody that's equal with them, which they, which they don't like so much. And then most importantly, they need matches against people who are worse than them. This is one of the downfall of the human species. I think we're all like this, that we like playing the people who are better and we hate playing the people who are worse. So you, you learn more and you're going to get a better understanding of your strengths and weaknesses when you play a weaker player 
than you'll ever get when you play a stronger player. So be prepared to play against different levels of players. Don't always yeah. be looking to play up. Remember, you weren't always a good player, but somebody played with you, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. So don't forget that. And then just work hard. And if you want to be a pro, the place to find that out is in America, where you'll have four years. You can work your work as hard as you want. You'll have gym. You'll have physios. You'll have all the amenities. And then if you work hard in the States, you might have a chance of going on the pro tour. But it's only going to happen through having good grades and having all the tools in your box. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, and just before we finish up, um, do you have maybe a, a funny story or two from, from your, your time in tennis? <laughs> oh, loads of funny stories. Okay, so I'll tell you two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first one involved myself. I was playing an indoor, kind of interpro friendly we were playing up in the Navin Indoor Tennis Centre many, many years ago against Ulster. And everybody who knows me knows I used to get tight when I served, like really tight. And I got so tight in this match that when I went to hit a first serve, the racket flew out of my hand and smashed on the hard surface. Like it was a hard court. Yeah. So, okay, that was a bit weird, Grand. I had rackets I was sponsored at this stage so I went over to the bag and I picked out a second racket so threw up the ball same thing happened so at that stage I was going wow because this never happened to me before yeah okay I, I think I was playing Pete Minnis people out there will remember like Pete Minnis so I went to my bag to get my last racket I only got sponsored with three yeah so <laughs> Same thing happened. Oh, Boom, yeah, I, I can see, see where that was going, yeah. <laughs> so everybody was laughing, laughing their head off because it was a little indoor center. What's happening, yeah. Casey? So I turned around to one of my teammates, I think it was Michael Kenny, and said, can you lend me a racket? I told him, well, there's no way I'm lending you my racket. <laughs> so nobody would lend me a racket. Somebody who was a local had a racket in the back of their car. So they yeah. gave it to me. So because I was so afraid of smashing that one, I just yeah. ended up just like, you know, yeah. like tapping serves in. So obviously I lost that, but and I had no rackets for the weekend. Yeah. So I didn't get to play next day. So that was a freaky experience. Yeah. Funny when you look back at it, not funny at the time. Yeah. And then the second one would have been Ken Rowe, myself and Mick, Michael Nugent. Myself and Michael Nugent used to play a lot of doubles together. And uh, we used to go to Windsor up in... Northern Ireland, up in, uh, down, I think it was, and they used to have an invitational doubles tournament for all the best uh, doubles players in Ireland. A lot of this stuff's gone off. They don't do it anymore. It's, like, it's an awful shame. Anyway, myself and Mick were in the final against Ken Rowe and Willie Norman. So I would have been trained that in doubles, if you're going to hit a ball fast, you hit it at the guy that's close to you. Okay? I think that's okay. a universal acceptance. So I had a, a forehand or something like that, and like Kim Rowe happened to be the closest to me. So I absolutely nailed it. Now I could hit the ball fast back then, so I nailed it. And I hit him on the forehead, right? Right? I hit him on the forehead, square in the forehead. Complete accident. Thank God I didn't hit him anywhere else. But the ball bounced. Now he was on the other end of the courts. So it bounced. He was at the net. So it bounced from his head, past us, and over the back fence, out. It must have been the cleanest forehand, forehead connection in history. So Kane then spent the rest of the match trying to hit me with a serve. 
I'd be standing behind the floodlight pole and he'd be aiming at me. He just wanted to get me back. Like I apologized afterwards. I said, man, like, like I couldn't do that on purpose. That was a fluke, you know? So like I was aiming at your belly, but that was a funny one as well. Yeah. But thank God it ended up funny. It could have been worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. that's good it's good stuff good stuff yeah so Paul I think we'll we'll leave it there so just thank, thanks yeah. so much for, for your time no, for talking today thanks for asking me like I said it's my first post, uh, my podcast really enjoyed it uh, like great to share my opinions on things great to be asked about my opinions on things and would wish you the very best of luck with your with your podcast I think you're doing a great job of letting people hear these little ins inside stories, things, just about Irish tennis, because I think we have a, like, we have a lot to offer. We have a lot to offer. Mm. I think we all need to get together. I think the coaches need to work together. I think we need to appoint a national coach. We need to have somebody that's, that's you know, like coordinating all of the coaches down to the players. So we're all working together and making tennis in Ireland better. Let's get back up there in the ATP rankings. So many thanks for asking me, Adam. And Absolutely. Best wishes. Thank, thanks so much, Paul. Big thanks once again to Paul for his time and for talking to me. And thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope you took something from it and found it as interesting and as enjoyable as I did. If you liked this episode, please do subscribe, leave a comment, uh, and share the, the episode, the podcast, to help spread the word. Uh, it's very much appreciated. I hope you're all keeping well. Um, until next time, I've been Adam, your host. Goodbye.